Hello, and uh, welcome to another episode of the Saxo Market Call on Tuesday, the 5th of December, 2023. And normally it's a Tuesday, we're going to talk about fixed income, but not today. Today is the official launch date of our outrageous predictions for 2024. So instead, I'm I'm still joined with my colleague, LTS Binazzi, but uh, we're not going to talk about fixed income. We're going to talk about our outrageous predictions. And um, the theme title for this year's outrageous predictions publication is called The End of the Road. Um, I think the illustration is quite cool. You can find it on uh, on home.sac, so it's also available in our trading platforms as well. I really, we, we really hope that you will like the ideas. We have eight predictions for, uh, for what could uh, outrageously happen next year. And the idea with the end of the road is that we've, be, we've been living in this very, it's very quiet, very calm world since the uh, great financial crisis. Yes, we did have a little bit of crisis moments in Europe, but overall, geopolitics was stable. We had low inflation. We had low interest rates. Real estate prices were going higher. Unemployment rates slowly take down. Not a major thing. Globalization was going rather smoothly. Um even 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 under the, the the Trump years, the your globalization was still rather smooth. But now with the pandemic and everything that happened post the pandemic, it feels like the world is such a uh, different and uncertain place, or in an uncertain place. So um, and there's a lot of new technologies coming into place. So we're going to talk about these eight predictions, LTM. And let me just start right off the bat. What what is your favorite prediction of these eight? Oh. Peter, <laughs> we have so many that are are quite good, but I think the most playful uh, is the first one. The Saudis buy the Champions uh, Champions League yeah. franchise. Um, that's definitely one of my favorite because it talks about money and power. How is it possible that concentration of power uh, can change the world? And in this, in this, in this. Uh, under this perspective is port. Yeah, I, I, I like this one as well. Um, and um, especially because it's it's a little bit tight. As you say, I, I like this angle that, you know, everything, this old saying goes, everything can be bought for money, right? And the Saudis have already shown that with Cristiano Ronaldo going to their national league. They're trying to drum up a, a huge sports uh, franchise because, you know, the Saudi uh, Saudi leadership, they already know that there will be a day where oil will not play the same role. So they need to prepare for a very different future. And part of that is creating, a, I don't know, a, a big tourist or entertainment uh, sector. And, and part of that is is football, the most iconic sports of them all. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you with that. Uh, you know, the market impact we have here is that Manchester United stock price doubles. It could be other, um, obviously other uh, publicly listed football stocks here in, in, in Europe. Um, so I like that one. Altia. Do you have another one that you like? Now we're down to seven. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, ah, probably the one of uh, um, Kennedy winning an election in the United States. Um, and uh, the reason why I like it is that it doesn't happen so so often. Uh, it actually probably never happened that an independent uh, candidate uh, wins uh, uh, the election, but we went quite close uh, in uh, 2000. I didn't know that, Peter. Peter uh, but uh, in 2000, Democrats uh, won a popular vote, uh, but they lost the electorate uh, college, and that was because of an independent runner, a candidate, uh, Ralph Nader, uh, which uh, 
basically won around 9,500 votes in Florida. And if Al Gore was getting roughly 500 of those votes, would have been president instead of Bush. So I think that what is interesting here is that whether Kennedy wins the election of, or not, it can be a disruptor to what the result is going to be. And it's definitely going to bring some changes. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it is, this is an outrageous idea, as you say, right? It's, it's not normal in the US, quite the opposite, to have a, a third candidate. Because of the electoral college system, you, you have a two-party system in the, in the US. And, um, but you know, the reason why there is a path to this outcome in the U.S. election later this year is the fact that, uh, uh, you know, Kennedy, um, Robert F. Kennedy uh, Jr., he, he is leading actually in, um, in some of the polls in terms of who you favor or who you think are most likable. Um, and I think there, there is a sense that, you know, Biden has been here for four years um, in the beginning, it was probably okay. The economy is slowing down now. He, he's quite old. Can he actually? Does he have the energy? Can he muster the the energy and focus to be a president for another four years? I think there's a lot of people questioning that. Then you have Trump still maybe be, still being this this radical uh, politician. He has a strong base, but um, there are some indications uh, lately as well with uh, Nikki Haley getting the support from the Koch the Koch brothers that. You know that that there are some cracks in the Republican base, and and maybe you know they they want for something else. That maybe 2024 is the year they will go down in U.S. history as something completely new. Who knows? Let's see. But uh, Peter, tell me instead, what's your favorite? <laughs> My favorite is the one we have on AI because. Um, Everyone is talking positively about AI and, and nobody talks about the risk, maybe except for the board of uh, OpenAI, which uh, was throwing out Sam Altman because he apparently does not care a lot about, about ethics. But um, ethics went out the window of OpenAI and in or back came Sam Altman. But we are pinning our, our, uh, our one of our richest ideas on on an AI and, and it's a risk. And the richest predictions go something like that, that a generative... Uh, a generative AI deepfake triggers a national security crisis. And what we mean about that is that the um, the idea here is that AI has become such a powerful tool, it can create completely real-like or deepfakes that can trigger people to believe that you know, someone that was not the person is actually calling you or, or, and, and thereby maybe ciphering off information or etc. So the idea here is that some criminal gang or state creates a deepfake and convinces a high-ranking politician in a, in a major country to uh, reveal national security information. And it immediately triggers a crisis, more regulation, know your customer, you cannot have uh, uh, open AI and Google opening up their AI platforms for third parties without uh, severe, maybe governance-sanctioned uh, know your customer checks. Uh, that will rein in growth and, uh, and innovation in the space. Um, one of our market impact ideas is that the New York Times uh, shares will double simply because, Altia, I mean, if, if this happens, can you trust anything any longer that you see on the internet? And then we also believe that the Adobe shares will be tanking because it's their software that are using that are being used for this. What, what do you think about this one, actually? 
Well, it's very interesting. And honestly, Peter, I had to try it out uh, myself. I had to download one of those uh, AI photo editors. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> and I made uh, my, basically I uploaded a bunch of my photos and they came out with this uh, um, these kind of uh, tales, uh, kind of photos. So I was like Altea, like Snow White, Altea, like Cleopatra. Le- and it was really me. That's the problem. It's disturbing. It's uh, <laughs> That's how easy, like somebody can hack on my Instagram or Facebook and take photo of me and just uh, stage me wherever you want. But what I also didn't know, Peter, is that the number of deep fake, which can be images or audio, probably news, double every six months. It's crazy. And uh, we went from uh, 2020, where there was a very few deep fake, when uh, in 2023, 500,000 videos and uh, audios were detected to be deep fake. So this is a snowball uh, that is going to increase in size. And especially those people like that they didn't have, uh, uh, they, they weren't born before in a so- social media, I think that they are going to be, to find it even more difficult to tell what is real and what is fake. Yeah, which is a very scary, scary thing. It, it, apparently there was already an, an event in the UK where a, a UK politicians, I don't know whether this person was part or a member of parliament, but apparently a deep fake was created showing him having a relationship with another woman and was completely deepfake made. Um, and it already caused a lot of stir in, in U.S. politics and, you know, it talks about laws preventing you from creating deepfakes on on uh, on, uh, on public uh, individuals on, uh, on this sort. And um, there are already a lot of local legislation being carried out in the U.S. on deepfakes. And it's already, I mean... The reason why this could actually happen is that the the national security uh, agencies in the U.S. have already, in a big uh, publication earlier this year, uh, made the case that this is one of the largest national security risks that that the U.S. government is facing. All right, uh, Peter, just one question. Cannot, uh, you think, uh, AI be trained to police itself, right? It can be, obviously, people... uh, AI is not regulated and we can have a lot of uh, deep fake, but AI can be trained also to detect and kill some of these uh, deep fake. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it's That's a, definitely a possibility. Um, the next idea um, I like as well because it sits at the intersection of, you know, a little bit of what we talked about, Eltia, on a podcast recently with fiscal dominance, this situation where you know the government finds itself in this um in this trap where they they which they cannot get out of without you know basically monetizing ever increasing government debt because they keep they need to keep the budget goings and the fiscal deficits in check to avoid a lot of things and um in this world um the government to support their own financing could could create this crazy idea of making bonds uh, capital gains and appreciation completely tax-free and interest income tax-free and then, you know, impose high taxes on stocks. But uh, can, may, may, what do you think about this idea? And maybe, you know, give a little bit of color on why is, I know it's outrageous, but why could it actually happen? 
Well, this idea, Peter, builds uh, above uh, what is happening already right now. And the big question here is what is going to happen if uh, the U.S. government and the Federal Reserve are going to pull from different directions, in the meaning that the Federal Reserve uh, will not be able to cut interest rates for the simple reason that uh, inflation um, might stay around the levels that uh, we are seeing now. But uh, the federal, the the U.S. government uh, needs uh, more fiscal, needs more fiscals because it needs to invest on defense and also because there are the U.S. election uh, next year. Well, what will happen is that... Uh, the cost of servicing existing and new debt is going to get out of control and the government will need to find a solution in order to keep cost of funding stable because that if a high, higher cost of funding is going to increase, that's going to be bad also for inequality and obviously for the lower income. What's interesting about these predictions is that even though there is this a challenging environment, the stock market is buoyant, exactly as we've seen throughout 2023. And now there is not only the Magnificent Seven, but we have the 12 Titans. So to join the party are Eli Lilly, Novo Nordisk, JP Morgan, LVMH. Difficult to say. ASML. So all stocks that are linked to to innovations uh, that are linked to health uh, and uh, obviously luxury. Um, So what's happening here is that the government hopes uh, by cutting interest uh, to to cut tax on uh, on, uh, US uh, Treasury bond income to have some rotation from stocks to bonds. And that happens but it happens for all other stocks except uh, these 12 titans. And the reason behind that is that uh, uh, these stocks actually gain from uh, the drop uh, of interest rates. So inequality is perpetuated anyway, despite uh, cost of funding remains in check. Yeah, well, it's, um, it sounds outrageous, but it, you know, <clears throat> it's, not, it's not something that is uh, unreasonable to think could happen. In a in a crisis scenario, um, the our second idea is that uh, that uh, you know these obesity drugs that have become uh, the talk of the town this year will create a curious irony uh, in the sense that it actually triggers a health crisis. And you might be thinking, why why could how could how could it trigger a health crisis when it actually lowers the obesity rates in the world? Wouldn't it? Isn't it supposed to cure the world? Well, the idea is that intrinsically we can see in the world that people are exercising less and less. That's a function of our modern society that combined with processed foods have created a very toxic um, equation for uh, you know, causing this epidemic crisis. So intrinsically people are lazy. Um, and um, with the obesity drugs being available, we can stop exercising altogether. And, and there are, because why would we do it? There is no incentive to do it any longer uh, unless you, you, know, you want to feel strong. But, but then... Um, what it triggers is that the you ha- a health crisis where people actually do have uh, a lot of related diseases to not exercise or even exercising less than ever. So that's the idea. 
We talk a little bit about at the market impact that McDonald's and Coca-Cola prices could outperform. Um, I think maybe a, a, a different take on it now that I think about it a, a second time is Altea that what what are one of the things we consume the most that have the most calories are actually alcohol, right? Starbucks. Yeah, <laughs> Starbucks, but also alcohol like uh, drinks. If you go out and uh, and you have uh, a good time or uh, or beers, etc. And with obesity drugs, you can actually you can get the you can get the fun times and the hangover afterwards, uh, but you get it cost free because it doesn't add to your. Uh, you know, but no, but you still get the calories. It's um yeah, uh, maybe there is no free lunch actually out Well, what I like uh, of this outrageous prediction is that uh, it has uh, a lot of implications. And I think that uh, one of them can also be increase of inequality. Um, True, in that's the, a good one. Yeah, in, uh, in, in the text, basically, there is written, well, the U.S. is going to sponsor, is going to pay for all these um, obese citizens to get this drug so that they can... Uh, Uh, get uh, healthier, but what about those nations that cannot afford uh, to roll it out as a state program? And uh, when we look at uh, obesity statistics, uh, we can see that uh, um, obesity is higher in low-income countries and in countries where there is a lot of economic insecurity because one of the factors uh, um, that adds on to obesity is stress. Normally, people cope uh, with stress uh, by eating more. And uh, I think that uh, that's going to be interesting because what about if Western society gets healthier, uh, they get leaner, they get uh, better life expectancy, but there is other countries that will not be able to to basically fill that gap. I like that. That's a, that's a, that's a great spin on the... It's a great spin on the idea, actually. Um, okay, so the the next one I want to talk about, Altea, is this uh, Rome Club or the Club of Rome, which, I mean, there are two clubs already. There, there was the Paris Club in 1956 where Argentina went to its creditors and there was a big negotiation. We also do have something called the Club of Rome, which is a forum for countries to talk about serious economic issues. Um, so the idea here is that the current trajectory of the world, which has been supercharged since the early 1980s with globalization and the fiat money system after the Bretton Woods uh, collapse, is that you know U.S. debt has gone from you know in 1956 from 273 billion to uh, 33 trillion. That's a whopping increase of 14,000 percent. And we have a world today that is very asymmetric. So you have deficit countries in the US, UK, India, Brazil, Canada, France. Um, and then you have the, all these surplus countries on the on the trade side, uh, China, uh, Germany, Norway, Japan, uh, the Netherlands, Singapore, South Korea, even Switzerland. And and this this difference or divergence between the uh, the two uh, the two parts of the world uh, has grown has grown in size over the years. And uh, the idea here is that it, at one point or it becomes unsustainable and questions will be will be asked about the U.S. reserve currency. Is this current system, is it really up for the task in a globalized world? And, and is it actually delivering the stability that it needs? And I think the market impact we have here is that if those questions are beginning to get asked, then you can see big gains for gold, silver, and cryptocurrencies, which is something we see already right now. I don't know whether that's related to our outrageous predictions, but um, what are your thoughts on this one? 
Well, I think that it's very interesting because it talks about uh, the huge problem that we have in terms of uh, debt, uh, fiscal deficit, uh, uh, which we already discussed uh, uh, before. Um, but uh, what's most interesting is that this time around uh, is not uh, countries in needs of a debt restructuring, like, for example, in the case of Argentina, that are going to step forward and say, hey, uh, we need to find a solution to this. Uh, these are, you know, uh, wealthy country that uh, are experiencing uh, a very high deficit pro uh, problem and are identifying that they need a linear uh, current account uh, in order to continue to be um, to be at the forefront uh, of uh, the world economies. Uh, so we are talking about US, UK, Canada, France. Um, and what's most interesting is that all these countries are going to try to find a solution against the surplus countries like Germany, Japan, Norway, and uh, the outcome uh, that we are estimating uh, is that there is going to be pain for yeah, the, so the idea, the, Yeah, so the idea is that they come as a group, right? So instead of individual countries trying to do uh, this and that, it's, uh, it's actually the biggest deficit countries go hand in hand into a, a negotiation room and say, okay, we need to change this, basically. Exactly. And that's going to be at the cost of surplus countries because everybody... Is a little bit the idea that Trump always also had, right? That the U.S. should run a surplus and not a, a deficit. So, what's happening here is a big reset where um, the deficit countries and the surplus countries are going to find a new equilibrium around zero. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's um, it's an interesting uh, idea, and another idea is that. Japan, which has been one of the um, lucky countries, we can say, this year. I mean, the equity market is doing great and lots of talk about whether the Bank of Japan is um, is doing the wrong thing here, keeping the interest rate or the policy rate extremely low as the only central bank mo almost in the entire world. Um, the Japanese yen is the at the receiver end of that uh, awkward uh, policy, uh, which has weakened the, the yen. And the idea on, on in this outrageous prediction is that the Jap Japanese economy next year will hit lucky the lucky number seven GDP growth. So uh, seven is a lucky number in Japan. And how can we get to 7% uh, real GDP growth rate, which has happened a couple of times very briefly in Japanese history over the past 20 years, um, the boom or the rebound years after the great financial crisis. And then there was a, a single quarter in the uh, reopening after the pandemic um, closed down. Uh, so <clears throat> so how can this happen? Well, some of the headlines are already coming through. Japan is being considered as a new reshoring hub um, for uh, for semiconductors, etc. It's already happening. Um, if, as you know, different uh, companies in both Europe and the US are trying to diversify some of their risk away from, from Chinese manufacturing. Japan is seen as a natural hub with highly skilled labor and uh, you know short access in terms of distance to the Asian market, so it's it's being a preferred vehicle. And um, well, I don't know, LTA, you know, seven percent GDP growth for a country like Japan. I don't know whether it's even remotely possible. Maybe maybe it is, but I mean, it surely is quite outrageous. Uh, outrageous, and one of the market impacts is that uh, you know Japanese investors re will repatriate money. Well, uh, Peter, that's actually the question. Does uh, the Bank of Japan needs a GDP of 7% in order to end the uh, ill control? 
And I think the answer to that is that uh, what we are seeing today is probably not because it's normal for the Bank of Japan to want to normalize the monetary policies and that the op opportunity might present itself even if GDP is slightly lower, but uh, inflation is finally um, around uh, uh, 2%. So I don't think that uh, this outrageous prediction is going to be far from reality in 2024 and uh, the consequence can be large for currencies but also for, for yields worldwide because Japanese investors are the biggest foreign investors uh, in Europe and uh, also in, uh, um, in the US. And obviously, if you have a buoyant um, uh, stock market in Japan and uh, you have a higher yield in Japan, there is no need to invest outside of Japan. And that uh, that would be definitely bad for, for the EU and the US. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the final prediction we did um, was on the EU. And we have been down this, uh, this road before on our Red Rachel's predictions a couple of years back. Um, this time around, it's uh, the idea is that the EU will introduce a wealth tax. Um, some countries in Europe already have a wealth tax. Uh, in, in Norway, there is a there is a wealth tax on a on a certain level. Um, so the idea here is that you know LV, uh, LVMH, um, I got that right this time, shares will plunge around forty percent. You know, as the EU Commission uh, launches this new wealth tax, um, taxing all European billionaires in the in the um, in the EU, generating revenue for you know the green transformation, maybe also the war efforts in uh, in in Ukraine, etc., and and that causes sentiment among the rich to plunge quite significantly and and see you know a demand for luxury goods declining. So that's Porsche, it's Ferrari, it's everything tied to the Louis Vuitton empire. Um, so that's that's sort of the idea here. And is this far-fetched or not? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I mean, there is a people's initiative. So the EU Commission has this open platform where if enough people in the EU uh, submit a proposal signed, then it can actually be, you know, it can potentially be talked about in the EU Commission. And the EU Commission actually have uh, adopted a, a conversation about a citizen's initiative exactly around taxing great wealth um, to fund the ecological and social transition. So maybe it's not that far-fetched. And another interesting fact that I was finding about the EU while I was uh, I was writing this one out here is that actually the, the tax rate paid in some EU countries for billionaires, the income tax rate, is significantly lower in some EU countries than, than actually a lot of uh, East Asia countries and, and even the US, where, which we are known to think this is the home, this is the home place for, uh, for, for, uh, for, for billionaires. Yes, that's very interesting. And I think that uh, uh, it's very fitting that we talk about uh, these uh, wealth tax here in Europe. Um, also because I didn't know this, Peter, but uh, apparently... Um, the the wealthy ones uh, are also the ones that pollute the most. <laughs> Apparently, wealth is not green because uh, the million, uh, billionaires and millionaires contribute uh, a million times more to carbon emissions to the atmosphere than the average person. Is that because they travel more? Probably. I, I'm thinking about private jets, but this is uh, some statistics uh, that... Uh, 
that uh, that I found, and I think that that's quite interesting because we know that. Uh, uh, the green agenda is at the heart of the European Union and especially uh, from uh, Germany. So if, uh, if these, these two ideas can, uh, can be combined uh, together. Another thing that I didn't know is that the UN used to have uh, the goal to end poverty by 2030, but because of the pandemic... Uh, American billionaires uh, are now 33% richer than pre-COVID, and uh, um, while instead the average population didn't accumulate wealth. And uh, that is a setback to the 2030 target, uh, uh, 2030 target to end poverty of the UN, um, and probably these kind of conversations about uh, how the... Um, how to raise more money from the wealth and distribute equally is going to take place and not only in Europe, but at a more global scale. Yeah, I think that the under the under underlying dynamic of, of this of this outrageous idea is obviously the, the wealth and income gap in the world is certainly, as you say, um have not been closed. Um so and and there is this brewing social unrest and the cost of inflation, etc. Yeah, so definitely an outrageous ideas and, and we um we went through all eight outrageous ideas. As I said, you can find them on uh, Home Done Saxo under it, our inspiration pages where you can also find Altea's and, and my research notes on equities and fixed income. But uh, there'll be a big banner uh, advertising the outrageous predictions 2024. So go read them. I think they're quite interesting. You can also, as a client, submit your, or non-client if you will, submit your own ideas and we'll have a little bit of a competition where the winner that's coming up with the best idea outside the eight ideas that we came up with, will be invited to uh, to on a podcast with me and, and Steen Jacobson where we'll talk about uh, this in this particular idea. And um, I think that's, um, that's a fun idea. So if you want to participate in that, please do so. But um, yeah, otherwise, I think that... Uh, I think it's a wrap for today's special edition podcast on the Saxo's Outrageous Predictions for 2024. It was a pleasure, Altia. Very different from our normal fixed income conversation. Absolutely. But let's uh, do it again. Yeah, let's do it again. But we'll be back next week with a podcast on fixed income. In the meantime, stay safe out there and thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.